Good evening, Sojourn. Good evening. Peace be with you. you. Somebody say happy Thanksgiving? <laughs> That's fast, sister. Well, I trust that everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? <laughs> All right. This vegan brother took a break from veganism. <laughs> I'm sorry to all my friends back in the Bay. <laughs> I take a break, had some turkey, had 17 people over for the last three days out of town and from Missouri. And so uh, I'm glad to be with my other family. You can't have a family or holiday meal without one conflict. You need one conflict. So we had that one, we settled it over, okay? But uh, just one, praise the Lord. <laughs> um, all right, well, we are finishing up on our series on the solace celebrating 500 years of what the Lord has done through the Reformation. And we're, today we'll be talking about sola scriptura, that means scripture alone. And so before we jump into this, uh, let's go ahead and pray to the Lord for some help. Father of the universe, creator of all things, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one through whom's work gave us direct access to your throne, that you may hear our prayers. Your words say, Lord, that the prayers of the righteous availeth much, and we are made righteous because of what Christ has done. We're so thankful that you hear us. Lord, would you meet us in this place? Lord, would you clean up our hearts? Lord, would you do a new thing within us, Lord? Lord, we need you. As we look at your word, Lord, please animate our hearts and please do what only you can do. I can't do it, only you can do it. Well, we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, well, like I said, we're looking at sola scriptura, scripture alone, scripture alone, scripture alone. On April 18th, 1521, excuse me. Martin Luther will find himself standing before an assembly of people called the Diet of Worms. He was called and summoned to the city of Worms, Germany. He was called to the city of Worms because he wrote some controversial stuff. He posted some controversial stuff on Facebook. And he posted it and he said that, listen, I have some issues with what the church is teaching. I have some issues with what they're saying about how I have or how I get to the Father. He says, looking at the scriptures, I read what the scriptures have to say, and the scriptures say that what Jesus did gives me direct access to God, but what the church is saying is saying that, no, that's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to come in between this in order for me to get to God. And so he posted what we call the 95 Theses on the, the door at the Wittenberg University, and the emperor and the Pope, the Holy Roman Church, they took offense to it, and they called him on April 18th to recant and to apologize for what he wrote. And so while he's standing before them, they said, listen, I don't want to hear anything from you outside of you recanting from what you have written. Let's get back to business. Let's get back to business as usual. And I want us to see what Luther had to say on this, this very, very dangerous moment. Luther responds to them while he's standing before them, while he's standing before Emperor Charles V and standing before the Cardinals and everyone else there. He says, listen, unless I am convinced by the testimony of holy scriptures or by evident reason, for I can believe neither pope nor councils alone as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contradicted themselves, 
I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me, amen. These are the words that set Western, the Western world ablaze. These are the words that could have cost this man his life and he knew it. God help me. He says, God help me because I know what you can do, man. I know that you can take my body and destroy it. I know you can separate my body, my soul from my body. I know this. I feel the weight of what I'm saying. God help me with what I'm saying right now, but I must say it because to ignore of your conscience, he says it's not a safe thing, nor is it a right thing. What would cause, when I look at this, every time I look at Luther's words here, what would cause such a defiance and such a confidence in the word of God, literally in the face of death? What is it that motivates that? Are we so different? What is it? When I think about even Paul, as we read our verse this evening, I'm looking at Paul at the end of chapter of Romans in chapter 15. He's writing about trusting the scriptures and writing about his trust in the Lord. How do you take a person that literally hated Jesus? He hated everything about Jesus and everything that he stood for. How did you take this man from that place? And he swings to the other side of the pendulum saying that I don't have a purpose for living unless I'm living for Jesus. How do you do that? And I think about my brothers and sisters across the, across the world in closed countries and Muslim countries and communistic countries where they are being persecuted, where the ground they stand on is stained by their blood. What gives them the confidence to stand on the word of God despite that persecution? What is it? And I believe that, that it's the same thing that, that causes Christians to sing for the last 2,000 years, silver and gold, silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. It is based in this confidence and this reliance that man, humanity, lives in a world where the God who made it speaks. They believe God speaks. They believe that God has spoken and their heart is set ablaze and they say that all I want to do, all my life is good for is adhering to what the creator has said. That's what my life is all about and that's what I want to do. The question of the hour, friends, the question of the hour, brothers and sisters, is what is your authority? What is your rule and guide for life? What do you listen to? Is it the horoscopes? Is it the daily news? Is it what mama and auntie said? What is the final authority for your life? And my prayer this evening is that that final authority, whether you are a believer in this place or unbeliever, my, my prayer this evening is that that final authority is the word of God and that you will convince that it should be the word of God. Because God has spoken to his creation. And so I want to look at this and fortify this truth in our minds in three different points here. And the first point I want to look at is God speaks. God does, in fact, speak. Let's look at this in verse 4. <clears throat> Paul writes, for whatever was written in former days. Let's pause right there. For whatever was written in former days, what is Paul talking about here? Paul is looking back at the Old Testament and looking at the 39 books that was written in the Old Testament. Principally, he's going to be referring to the whole of the canon, the whole Bible. That what was written is worth listening to because God wrote it. It is basically set in that premise. 
The creator communicates to the creature. God talks to his people. We see this in three primary ways in which God has communicated and throughout the history of the world and the history of creation. We first see that God is a God of words. God is a God of words. One thing that you can look at is the fact that you and I were created in the image of God and we talk and we talk and we love to talk. If if that is the case, then you can probably trace it back and you should trace it back to the fact that you were made in the image of a person who talks. God speaks. Eight times in Genesis 1, we see God over and over again. The scripture is saying that God said, God said, God said, God said. God is literally creating the world ex nihilo, out of nothing. God is creating with his words. Now, we're not talking about some type of mystical reality where humans get to just create the, uh, uh, this, this alternate universe with their words as we see in name it, claim it type of theology. That's not what we're talking about. But we are declaring the, the power and majesty of God. God can do that. God speaks. God spoke the tree into existence and said, grow. God spoke the mountain and said, emerge. God put the water and separated the firmament from the air and placed it into the sea. God spoke the bird into existence. God spoke man into existence. God did that. Seven times God said it, and on the eighth time, it was God commissioning humanity for it to be fruitful and multiply and take care of the world. God is a speaking God. We see him talking. We see him talking to people, the patriarchs of our faith. We see him first talking to Adam. We see him talking to Moses. We see him talking to Abraham. We see him talking to Jacob. We see him talking to them directly. But then there's going to become a time in history where God is going to transition and he's going to say, I'm going to talk to prophets. I'm still going to talk, but what I want you to do is I want you to write my words down. This is the claim that the Bible makes that God has uh, told, given an instruction to his prophets first in the person of Moses to write down what he has said. And we see God speaking through his written word as well. Exodus 31 and 18 tells us that. It says that in the second tablets, literally, when Moses goes to the top of the mountain, God literally inscribes the tablets with his finger. This is going to set the trajectory of written scripture. From there on out, Moses is going to write every single thing that has happened from the beginning of time all the way into the first five books of the Bible. This is where we get the Deuteronomy writings from, Exodus from, Leviticus and Numbers and and, uh, Genesis. But why does God do that? For what purpose does God do that? Why does he write the word down? Why is God going to this extent that he may write get a written record of what it is that he has to say? Well, we see that in Exodus 5.1, Exodus 7.16, and 8.1, and 9.1, and 10.3. Over and over again, we are very familiar with the story of Moses. But there's something that I missed coming up after watching the Ten Commandments with Charlton Henson. And after watching the cartoon that came out, there's something that I missed. When over and over again, when Moses goes before Pharaoh, he says, let my people go. For what reason? Let my people go that they may worship me. Let them go into the wilderness that they may worship me. The first item of business when they get to the wilderness is receiving the word of God. It was not clapping and singing and lifting a new song. It was actually to receive the word of God. God is saying that I want you to worship me. How do we worship you, Lord? Don't you worry about that. The particulars are coming. There can be no worship of God without an adherence to the word of God. 
It is the word, the word, the word that characterizes God's people. It is the word that teaches us what it means to adequately and accurately worship and honor God. Because God says that there's some things that I want you to do. Follow them. In this way, you are honoring me. The final revelation that we see in the way that God communicates to humanity, to the world, is finally through his final revelation in the person of Christ. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It tells us that literally the Word became flesh. What are we talking about? Who are we talking about? We're talking about the person, Jesus Christ. Literally, the words from God, as he is speaking the world into existence, who is accomplishing that? Who is doing the handiwork? Who is taking the shovel and making sure the trees are planted? Who is doing all of these things? The Bible teaches us that it is actually Jesus doing these things, proceeding from the mouth of God, accomplishing what the Father is declaring. It is that word that becomes flesh in John 1. It is that word that we call Jesus Christ. It is that word that we call out and say, this is our Savior. This is the word of God where the Father says that if you want to know who I am, if you want to study me, if you want to know what I look like, if you want to know what I act like, look at the person, Jesus Christ, because him and me, we are the same. And it's the same claim that Jesus makes over and over again for me and my Father of one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is the way that God communicates himself. Why is it so important for us to do this survey of how God has communicated himself? Well, there's a lot out there as to how God is talking. There's a lot out there that is not grounded in scripture. There's, there, there's some other things that we're going to be talking about with the way that God talks with his people, but these are the fundamental ways in which God has communicated to his people. It is through, through his, his voice, his spoken word, his written word, and through Jesus Christ, which is captured in the written word. This is an invitation. This is an invitation for us to understand, for us to look at, look at and investigate, Lord, why do you go through such extent to do this? It is because God desires to be known. He desires to be known. Don't forget that this is a relational God that we are in contact with. This is a God who's searching the world and searching to and fro. This is a God who is desiring to enter into relationship, people, so he speaks. That's what we do. When I want to have a relationship with you, I talk with you. I desire to be known. Not only that I may know you, but I want to be known as well. God speaks and goes through such great lengths to be known and to communicate to us because he wants to be known. We've seen it over, over again, this encouragement to do things like daily readings, daily devotions, quiet morning times, meditation, all of those things that sometimes some of us look at as melatonin. <laughs> the second I open the word, why in the world that when I open it and three minutes later, I'm just dozing off. Someone say that this is a perfect sleeping recipe. No, 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 no. This is not a sleeping recipe. This, we're not telling you this. And this is not an encouragement that, so it can be an arduous spiritual task that if you don't do it, you're relegated to a second-class Christian. The purpose of it is that we may actually explore the mind and heart and will of God because he's a person and he wants to be known. It is also an invitation to stand on the glorious foundation that a silent God 
A silent God is a figment of our imagination. God is also always speaking. He's always speaking through his word and through his spirit. And some of us need to hear that today because some of us will find ourselves saying that, man, I was just talking to God and I feel like he's not listening to me. My words seem to be bouncing off of the ceiling. Is he there or is he not there? Why is he making it so hard for me to talk with him? Why won't he talk back? I cannot hear him. One of my favorite Family Movies is a movie that was produced uh, in, uh, in the 90s called The Little Princess. Uh, this is what The Little Princess looks like. Yeah, I know that most of, I'll be clowned by most of my homies coming up in St. Louis. Uh, did I cry? Yeah, I did. I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. Watching it right there with my daughter and with my family. I love this movie. I love this movie and the story uh, that it's trying to tell. The setting is the Great War era, World War I in England, and a father goes to the front line and he sends his daughter to this boarding school. And as, he, and, and, uh, as she's in this boarding school, the only thing that keeps her encouraged, the only thing that keeps her excited about the future of seeing her father again and being reunited is him sending letters back to her. They say that, I love you. I'm thinking about you. What are you doing? This is what life is like for me. The only thing that keeps her going is the letters. But all of a sudden, she stops receiving these letters, and she begins to faint in her faith, in her encouragement. She begins to become depressed, only to find out that there is an antagonist in the story that's keeping letters from her, because evidently, the father has been writing letters all along. The letters are in this drawer, and you have this stack of letters that represent her father trying to reach out to her. I believe that in the end of times, that some of us are going to stand before God and say that, Lord, why did you go through such lengths to hide yourself from me? Why did you go through such lengths to hide and, and behind mystery? Why, Lord? And God would say, did you get my letters? Did you not get my letters? I have written to you. I have provided my word to you that you may read it, that you may know that I am here and that I am near. Read them, open them up that you may engage with this great father who wants to be known. God speaks to his people. Secondly, we see that God speaks for our instruction. We see that he's speaking. Why are you speaking? What are you saying? It says that we, he speaks for our instruction. We see that in the next part of verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Paul is saying that the purpose of Scripture is that it's actually written for our instruction. That word for instruction is teachings, rule, guide. There's actual teachings that the Lord wants to communicate to us. See, the reason why it's so dangerous to preach a scandalous grace, being that there's nothing that you have to do to earn the favor of God. You can't, it can't be governed or gained by what you do and what you don't do. The reason why it's so dangerous to preach that because there's some people that want to take that without actually being a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is actually a follower of Jesus. You get to grace, but you're also characterized by following what he has to say. When I came into Christianity, I remember that I had, it was such a hard stop for me. Hard stop. That means that there was some inertia involved in that. That means that the body still jerked after the stop. 
That means that there were some things in my life that had to catch up to my proclamation of being a Christian. And when I became a Christian, I tell you guys often that you're not looking at the same James prior to salvation. I'm amazed at what God has done, and I'm amazed that God is still dealing with a brother, and he's still this transforming my life. Praise the Lord. And the same thing goes for you. But when I stepped into this thing called life, called Christianity, I realized that Jesus has teachings and instructions on everything pertaining to life. Everything. He has teachings about your money. Yeah, he all up in your business. He in my business too. He wants lordship over your money, sexuality, your parenting, how you neighbor, how we do relationships with one another, how we do conflict. That was the hardest thing for me, how we do conflict. I remember I got into a scuffle after I became a Christian, a little scuffle. And then if you had people looking at me saying, James, non-believers called me out. Ain't you supposed to be a Christian, man? You ain't supposed to be fighting. I had to remember that, wait a minute, I can't do things my way anymore. I'm not the captain of the ship anymore. There are teachings that Jesus wants me to listen to. Turn the other cheek. I remember when I first read that, turn the other cheek. Okay, that means that he can only hit me once, right? I'll give him one time. I got to do it. This is a struggle if you're coming up in the hood. I'm just, sorry. I'm just letting you in on the struggle. He says, now turn the cheek. Love your, your, the, your enemy. Be good to them. If you, if you love your enemy, it's like uh, returning them. Uh, if you return love for hate, it's like pouring coals on someone's head. It says that's the teachings that you have to conform to. I'm trying to get you somewhere, and there are teachings that the Lord wants us people to conform to. Psalm 119.105 tells us that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God says that, listen, it is a lamp on a dark road. It is a lamp where you will not be able to, to bruise your feet while you're walking along the way, where you will not be able to fall into a ditch. It says that I want to light the road for you so you can see. That's what the word of God does for his people. Why is it so difficult to jump into this word? to read this word, to get out of the melatonin state. Why is it so difficult? I believe that it's because the biggest threat to us actually jumping in the word is the pitfall of elevating sola cardia above sola scriptura. Sola cardia, you recognize that word that is cardia heart, elevating our heart above the scripture. And I believe that describes so much of Christianity in America where our faith is not described or characterized by he said, the word said, the Lord said, is characterized more by I feel, I feel, I feel. I see this over and over again and pastoring over the last 15 years and looking at the couples. You have those that actually believe that they're justified in leaving their spouse because their spouse is not making them, them happy anymore and so they cheat on their spouse. I feel like I need to do this. After all, YOLO, you only live once. It is characterized by, I feel, I feel, I feel. And, and I, I feel this, and there's so much of this, and I'm not condemning anyone. This is a word for all of us, that when we are doing relationship, and we're doing our community groups, and we're doing relationship, even within Sojourn, and we're talking about the issues of life over and over again, the things that are bothering us, the things that's depressing us, it is a fair question, a good question to ask someone, have you been in the Word? 
Have you read your word? Sometimes talking about this thing, it's like someone who's coming to you and saying that, hey, man, you really should go to taking supplements and vitamins. I'm telling you, it's good for you. You know those type of people. You know, it's, it's like, it sounds right. I, I'm sure you're right, but I'm cool. The word of God is like, I know it sounds right, but okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. No, it's something that says, no, I, it, it sounds like really that's going to help these issues of life. Yes, yes, and yes, and we're going to see why in a second. Another way that we can elevate sola cordia or our heart and our feelings above scripture by um, not necessarily explicitly, but implicitly, is by not reading it, by not seeking it, by not obeying it, and by not applying it. The only time that we get the Bible and we get the word is on Sunday mornings when a preacher's yelling at you, depending on who preaches. <laughs> but I want you to listen to this. This is the orientation that the psalmist has regarding the word of God. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, by your words, I can see where I'm going. They throw a beam of light on my dark path. I've committed myself and I'll never turn back from living by your glorious order. Everything's falling apart on me. God, put me together again with your word. Fasoon me with your finest sayings. Lord, talk to me. Lord, talk to me. Give me the good talk. Teach me your holy rules. My life is as close as my own hands, but I don't forget what you have revealed. The wicked do their best to throw me off track, but I don't swerve an inch from your course. I inherited your book on living. It's mine forever. What a gift. And how happy it makes me. I concentrate on doing exactly what you say I always have and always will. Lord, help me have this heart. Help us have this heart when we look at your word, Lord, as vegetables, but at vegetables that we just love. What's that worst vegetable that you just, but it's good for you? Go after, eat it, consume it. It's good for you. And a lot of times when we do this, we eat that, we eat the vegetables, we consume it, and we ask ourselves, what's the question we ask? Why do I do this more often? Why do I wait so long to get into the word? It's so good. Lord, you are cutting me open. The word is a double-edged sword, cutting through bones and marrow, soul and spirit, dividing, and says that the Lord, he examines us. No one can escape his eye, Hebrews 4 tells us this. It's a time where we can actually be examined by the word, by the word of God, and it is reading us, and we say that, oh, Lord, I see what you're saying. Okay, spirit, okay, I see it, because the word begins to read you back. That's why the word is here. Some of us believe that the speakers are off, that God is not speaking. When it comes to instruction, I keep falling in the same area. I don't know what to do. It's, it may be because you haven't turned the speakers on. Open up the Bible and turn the speakers on and hear from the word of God. Hear from God himself. And finally, we see that God speaks for our hope. For our hope. Let's read that final part of verse four. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
God provided the scriptures long ago that you may have hope through endurance and through encouragement. I like the word hope there. The word hope there means to obtain and attain what it is that you're after. Hope in attaining the benefit of your salvation, the full benefit of your salvation. That's what we're hoping for. I became a Christian with the promise that I will never die, but I will live eternally. I will never spiritually die. I may shed this, this outer shell. I may shed this one, but I will never spiritually die. I will be with God. It is for the hope that my salvation will bring me face to face before God where there's no more pain, no more hurt, no more crying, no more death, no more of trying to explain to people why bad things happen. I will be with the Lord and I will finally attain the object of my hope. That's the hope. That's why he wrote the Bible, wrote the scriptures to make sure that you have the hope that you're going to make it there. You're going to make it through this life in trials and tribulations and sickness in the body, wars of the mind, whether it be through mental illness or depression or whatever the case, those things are temporal in light of eternity. And God says that I wrote this book so that you will know that you can have hope that you will, in fact, make it to the end. And he does this through a combination of words that he repeats right after the section. It's through endurance and through encouragement. Through endurance and through encouragement. I love this because the endurance is not your endurance. The endurance is not my endurance. I don't have the endurance to provide the hope. Praise the Lord he's not placing that on me. The pastors will fail you. Deacons will fail you. Your parents will fail you. Your children will fail you. Friends will fail you. This world will fail you. But the Lord says that I will never fail you. Look at my endurance. It's based on me. Look at my endurance, the endurance of Scripture. This is looking. The word means that it's, it's withstanding the test of time. Your trials may be momentary, but there's something that outlets your trial that was here before your trial, here during your trial, and it will be here long after your trial. There's something that God is trying to communicate to us. It's the endurance of the scriptures. It's the endurance of his word. We see that in Matthew 24 and 35. Jesus says that, listen to me, listen to me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our, Lord, of our God will stand forever. That word, it means, it refers to the quality of character which does not allow one to surrender to the circumstances or succumb under trial. Oh, God's word can take a blow. It is taking blows. God is not afraid of all of the scrutiny that the Bible has been brought under in the age of skepticism, yet it emerges unscathed. This is the only book in antiquity, the only religion in the world that invites people from the outside to come on in, read it, get your microscopes, read it, scrutinize it. It's okay. God can take it. God says that, listen, there's nothing that I need to be afraid of. Investigate it. Audit me, if you will. I ain't got nothing to hide. Look and read the word. And God says, I need you to look at the people that I've delivered. 
I need you to look at the people that I brought through some stuff. I need you to look at my faithfulness. This is why God over and over again references this. He says, Israel, I don't want you to forget all that I have done for you. All that I have done for you. That's why they celebrate it in festivals even to this day. Look at how I have been faithful and my word has never failed. If I said that I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If I said that I will never leave you nor forsake you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If I say that I will hold your hand, hold you by the right hand and lead you from this life to the next, I will do it. And if I say that I'm coming back and you will see me again and you will be reunited back with me, to me, then it will happen. You can trust that. You can trust that. You can trust it. You can trust it. He says that this hope comes from looking and evaluating the endurance of God. But also, he says, look at the encouragement that scripture provides, and that's where your hope comes from as well. I love that word as well. That word encouragement that he's using there is the word paraclete. If you know that word, and if it sounds familiar, it's the same exact word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit. If you remember, Jesus said that I leave this place, but I leave with you my paraclete, my spirit, my comforter. And what does he say the role of the Holy Spirit is? The role of the Holy Spirit, he will bring back to remembrance all that I have taught you. It's the word serves as the same purpose. The word is there to comfort you and to remind you of God's faithfulness. The Spirit uses the word that God gives you. The Spirit uses the word that you read. How can the Spirit remind you of what Jesus has taught if we're not reading what Jesus taught? If we don't know what Jesus taught? If we're not spending time in the Gospels? This is where the hope comes from. I wonder what type of church, what type of Christian, what type of marriage what type of relationships will we have if we spend 15 more minutes learning the word of God? 15 more minutes at the feet of Jesus. 15 more minutes reading and receiving from him. From him. What type of Christian will that produce if we can add 15 more minutes in a week? And the promise is, is that guess what you're going to add to your life? You're going to add some encouragement and you're going to add some endurance. But that endurance and that encouragement is not just for you. Your pastors, your deacons, the person sitting next to you, they're saying that, listen, I need you to get some word for you. Amen. But I need you to get some word for me. This is how God speaks to his people through his word. How does he do it? Sometimes you have a person that may seem like they're down. Sometimes you have a person that may be smiling, but you know that something's off. The spirit is giving you discernment that something's off. And you had a Bible study that morning. You had a Bible study just earlier that day. And you look at this person and say, listen, I don't know what this means to you. I don't know if this is even relevant, but I feel like something is going on right now. And I have a scripture in my spirit that I want to give to you. The scripture I want to give to you is what I have Bible study on. Oh, I know it gets mystical and it gets scary at this point. But this is what it looks like to live a life led by the Spirit where we are in tune with what the Lord may be saying and how he may want to use us in encouraging other people. That's not the scripture says, be ready to give an encouraging word. Sing a spiritual psalm to one another. Encourage one another with the word of God. This is what it looks like to encourage one another. Be ready in season and out of season. Read that word so you can encourage people around you. Oh, Lord, we need people. We need pastors. Pastors need encouragement. Deacons need encouragement. We all need some encouragement. I need you in your word, Lord. 
That's where we get some encouragement, and that's the gift the Lord gives us through the church, that we may all be equipped for the work of the ministry. We all are called to the work of the ministry, and we don't have to rely on pop culture. We don't have to rely on pop psychology. We don't have to rely on Dr. Phil. We don't have to rely on our best assumptions and getting it right. We don't have to rely on any of those things. Rely on the word of God for it is reliable. It is inerrant without error. It is infallible within his trustworthy. That's what the Lord gives us his word for. And the result is hope. The result is a little bit more spring in your step that you're going to make it. The result is that, yes, Lord, this thing is real. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you, Lord. That's the result. That's the promise. Jesus never invites us to trust them blindly. Jesus says that I want you to trust me. I want you to trust what I say, but I'm not just going to ask you to trust my word. I'm going to ask you to trust and look at what I did. Look at what I did and how I'm faithful. I'm faithful to this thing coming true because I put my life on the line. Any person who is investing in a business, the bank wants to know, what what money are you bringing to the table? Do you have anything to lose? How much money? Because you got to come up with 15, 20%. Jesus says that, listen, I put my life on the line to back up what I'm saying. And we're reminded of that every time that we meet. Jesus is about what he says. He died for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, took bread and gave thanks, said that this is my body broken for you, take and eat it. Likewise, Jesus took the cup. I said that this is my blood, the blood of my new covenant. Take and drink. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Come and partake and feast on literally the word of God that you may have the hope that you and I seek and we desperately need in this dark world. The way we do it here at Sojourn is we take a piece of the bread, we dip it into the wine or the juice. We say, do whatever your conscience permits. The wine is marked by twine. We have gluten-free options to my left and to your right. If you're not a believer in this place, we ask that you abstain from this meal. This is a family meal, a Christian for Christians. But if you're still looking over the fence and still trying to figure out what Christianity is and investigate it, we want to talk with you about the scriptures. Some of us that may have so many questions, we would love the talk. If you want to audit the scriptures, let's audit it together. Come when you're ready. Let's pray.